As most of you know, we've had an off-again, on-again sermon series this summer entitled Road Trip. Well, we're on again. And as we've been talking about Road Trip, we've been talking about God's picture for family. And as we look around, we realize that there is no simple model for this is what family looks like. So we began with Pastor Sabine talking about, are we there yet? And God's picture for what it means to be single. And then we talked about detours. And Pastor Jose talked about the detours in life. Talked about divorce and how sometimes we believe that The road has been closed, and we need to trust that God has another way, another plan for our lives. And although many of us cannot identify with particular stages of the journey, God's picture for family is a journey all of us are on in some way or another. So as we continue today, we're going to be talking about marriage. And remembering that as we merge together, we need to yield. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, as we talk about your plan for marriage, an institution that you created from the very beginning, I pray that you would guide and lead. You will help us to submit our hearts and minds to your plan for marriage. In your name, amen. The word road trip invoke all kinds of memories, don't they? I mean, each of us, when we think about road trips, we think about trips we took. And often the ones that come to mind are not the ones that went as planned. When I think back of my childhood, the road trip that stands out to me was from my freshman year in academy. We lived in Indonesia at the time on the island of Java, and the plan was to take a road trip across the entire island of Java. We planned all kinds of stops, things we wanted to see, things we wanted to do. It was going to be fantastic, and we had great expectations. But the one thing we didn't plan for is that halfway through the trip, the entire family would get typhoid fever, and we would need to come home. And as often is in life, our expectations in reality don't actually meet. Marriage is that way, too. We go into marriage with expectations, expectations that are built on the relationships we've seen, on the marriages we've grown up with, on our parents' relationship, expectations of how to show affection, expectations of how to handle finances, expectations of what love looks like. These expectations are played out in our own marriages, and sometimes there are expectations of the positive where 
We want to do it like our parents, and sometimes it's expectations of the negative where we want to do it unlike our parents. But still, our marriages are based on the relationships we've seen and witnessed. And the problem is, is when you have two people who come together coming from different families with different expectations of what those marriages should look like, sometimes it doesn't merge the way we anticipate. For instance, when I grew up, we grew up with lots of pets, and of all the pets, my favorite was a dog. That dog and I went everywhere together. He truly was my best friend. And so as I thought about what family would look like, it involved a dog. And so one day, when I was living in California, I went to get groceries on a Friday afternoon, and as I was walking into the grocery store, they had puppies for adoption outside. And as I was walking up, our eyes met. The decision was made, I was taking this puppy home. And as I picked him up, he rested his head in the nape of my neck, and we knew we belonged together. I decided if I was going to have a puppy, I was going to teach him how to play fetch, because that's what dogs do. And I intentionally taught him how to play fetch my mistake. Fetch turned out to be his drug of choice. <laughs> that dog wanted to play fetch every waking moment. In fact, when my eyes would open in the morning, bloop, he would drop a tennis ball right next to me saying, let's go. And if I was sitting trying to work on something, he would take the tennis ball and shove it under me so that I was so uncomfortable I had nothing to do but throw it. And sometimes it would be dangerous if we were walking through the mountains there in California and I were to accidentally kick a rock off the side of the cliff. If he wasn't on a leash, he would dive off the cliff so that he could bring the rock back to me. I named my dog Eddie because at the adoption they said his name was Poe, but I didn't want a dog named Poe, so instead I called him Edgar Allen. <laughs> and Eddie for short. And Eddie and I were great friends. He fit perfectly into my expectation of this is what life would be like, but unfortunately, or should I say fortunately, it depends on how you look at it, I fell in love with a woman who had different expectations. Her expectations for family and home and marriage were that she could breathe. And being highly allergic to dogs, this wasn't going to work. And so I gave Eddie to a good home. And I don't want you to just think that I'm saying that because it's the proper thing to say. I had friends who were both dentists and they moved to Montana and they decided they didn't want to have children. Instead, they wanted to focus on Eddie. Recently, I got a card in the mail, a card that was made of an oil painting of Eddie. That dog has a better life than I ever will have. <laughs> but we had different expectations, and sometimes when those differing expectations come together, it creates friction. And sometimes we have different expectations and it flows. For example, Growing up, it was an expectation in my family that a man's place was in the kitchen. My wife was comfortable with that. 
She is willing to have me cook for her. And so we have these different expectations, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But this morning, let's look at the Bible. Let's talk about what are God's expectations for marriage. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is going through all different types of relationships. And starting with verse 21, Paul starts talking about what marriage should look like. And it's sometimes a little bit difficult to read, and we, we start reading it and we say, wait, I'm not sure about this. Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. What? That's a little, it's a little bit hard to read. And some people say, well, that was the culture of that day. In that day, that, that was the expectation. That is for them, not us. Because you see, it's not the kind of thing we talk about on the 4th of July. On a day when we celebrate freedom, the idea of submission, well, it rubs us the wrong way. But before we so easily bypass Paul's words, let's take a closer look. Because Paul also says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, just a couple pages before that in another letter, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. These two things seem to be at contradiction to each other. Here Paul is saying, hey, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither men or women in Christ because we're all one. And then the very next book of the Bible, written by Paul also, he seems to be giving roles to men and women that are different. And not roles that we are really excited about. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. But I think as we study this further, you'll realize they're not in contradiction as they appear. First of all, we like to focus on verse 22. Wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. But reading that verse on its own is problematic because when you look at the original language, the word submit is not there. It's actually found in verse 21, and to make it flow, we added it to 22. It doesn't change the meaning, but it changes how it should be read. A better translation would read more like, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. This submission isn't relegated merely to women, but this submission is for all of us. And that becomes clearer 
as we read through the rest of this section. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And when we think about the way Christ loved the church, He submitted Himself, didn't He? He gave Himself up completely for us. But wait a second, what about verses 23 and 24 where it talks about Christ is the head and talks about the husband is also the head? This is something we've talked about a lot lately, isn't it? But this picture of Christ as the head, you have to realize the original audience, the Ephesians, when they heard this, the cross wasn't merely a symbol. It wasn't some distant memory. It was something fresh and real in their lives. And this picture of Christ as the head could not be separated from Christ on the cross. And those two things redefined what it meant to be the head. Because Christ as the head submitted Himself completely. The very next book of the Bible, a couple pages further, in Philippians chapter 2, another letter by Paul, Paul articulates exactly what it means to be like Christ the head. In chapter 2, starting with verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." What kind of a head was Jesus? He was one that was equal with God and lowered himself to become a man. And then he lowered himself to become a servant of men. And then he lowered himself to the point of death. And then he lowered himself to the point of death on a cross. Husbands, if you're going to ask your wives to submit, do not take these words lightly because the submission that is asked of us is far and beyond anything we're capable of. The submission that is asked of us is complete and total sacrifice and surrender. If we are to love our wives the way Christ loves us, mercy, we have a long way to go. So to dismiss Paul's writings as being to that culture, is incorrect and naive, because what Paul is saying here is not the culture at all, because first of all, when he says, wives, submit to your husbands, he's talking to the women, which was not something that they did in that culture. And he was asking them to submit. He was not saying, husbands, control your wives. What Paul is writing is completely countercultural because he's asking both parties to submit. He's saying your relationship, instead of being based 
on these human values. Base your relationship on God and His love for the church. Be transformed into that character. And this, this is the gospel. This picture we have is throughout the gospels. Jesus over and over again saying, take up your cross and follow me. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. This is what we are asked to do. Submission is not relegated merely to marriage. It is the journey of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is not merely a task for women. It is a task for Christians. Submission is what each of us must do if we are following Jesus Christ. Each of us comes to marriage with different expectations. Different expectations of what marriage looks like, feels like, acts like. But here, Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesians, redefines all of that in the way only a single person could. And he says, no. Base your relationship not on what we know, not on what we're familiar with, but instead base your relationship on Jesus Christ and how He loves us. This transformation, this asking for a new heart is a complete paradigm change. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is sharing a parable, starting with verse 24. It's a parable that we're all familiar with. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose. The wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose up, and the winds blew against the house, and it fell with a great crash. My question is for you this morning, those of you who are married, what kind of a foundation have you built your marriage on? Is it a foundation based on the relationships you've seen of your parents? A foundation built on failed marriages, broken marriages? A foundation built on people who were trying the best that they could? Or is it a foundation based on God's picture of love. God's picture of love that is totally countercultural to everything we understand. A picture of love that is complete and absolute sacrifice. It is not just countercultural 
to the Ephesians. But it is to us in America in 2015 on the 4th of July. Because we are a people who are so focused on our own rights, the things we deserve, who we are. And here Paul is saying, no, that's, that's not marriage. Marriage is submitting to each other. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, I'm going to ask you to go further. Sacrifice everything. Submit entirely because that, that is what love is. Love is not rescuing the one we love from trials, but instead it is going through those trials with them. Love is not telling the other one how to behave, but instead love is lowering ourselves to lift them up. This is the picture of marriage. If we're going to merge together, both parties must yield. It is not the task of one or the other. And so, in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free. There is no man or woman because in Christ, we submit. But unfortunately, it's not always the way it works. Years ago, I was preaching an evangelistic series on the other side of the world, and it was not in a beautiful sanctuary like this. In fact, it was not in a building at all. There, I was preaching in, I guess you could call it a city square, but even that is making it sound grander than it was because there was a row of stores over here, there was a dirt section, and then the highway that went through town here, and I was preaching on the dirt section. And they put a platform next to the village trash heap for me, and that's where I was preaching. And as I would preach each night, the children would stand atop the trash heap so that they could see the slides better. And one evening, as I was preparing my message, I looked over and saw the most disgusting thing I'd ever seen in my entire life on that trash heap. I have a weak stomach, so it does not take too much to make things turn. But there on the trash heap was a cat, a dead cat a completely and totally dead cat. I'm sorry if you are a cat lover. I did not do it, but I did see it. But I wasn't the only one to see this dead cat. One of the boys of the village saw it too. And what I saw as something grotesque, he saw something new. You see, the children in that village didn't have the nice toys we grew up with. And so he grabbed the cat by its two front paws and he began to dance with it. And there this boy, he's dancing with a dead cat and other children see and they feel left out because they've never danced with a dead cat. 
And they want to cut in, but he's not ready to give up his dead dance partner quite yet. And so he takes the dead cat by his two front paws and he transforms it into dead cat bat and smacks one of the children right across the face. Other children try to approach and he's smacking them off left and right, defending not only his dance partner but also his trash heap. But there are too many of them. He cannot conquer them all with dead cat bat, and so magically it transforms into dead cat dodgeball. The feline corpse flies through the air from one child to the next. But you can only play with a dead animal so long, or so I learned. And I sat there wondering what would make children play with a dead animal. But as I continued watching throughout the week, I saw other children come up to the trash heap. And although it wasn't a dead cat that they found to play with, they came there for other things. And they found different things in the trash heap that they turned into toys. That trash heap was their toy store. That trash heap was where they found things to play with. And if we are building our expectations of what relationships look like on the failed relationships of our parents and those around us, are we not also playing with dead things? The God of the universe has shown us this is love. This is what love looks like. Love is sacrifice. Love is submission. So let us not dismiss Paul's words and somehow think that we've got it figured out. Because when we do that, we're going back to the trash heap and picking up something filthy. I'd like to invite you to turn back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, because I've got good news. This is not merely a Scripture for children's story, but also it's an invitation for each of us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's what we are. As children of God, God invites us to redefine our relationships as His children, not as children of our birth parents. We are invited to model our relationships after His picture of love not the ones we're so familiar with that we've been hurt by over and over again. It's a church family. Whether you're married or looking, whether you're a parent or divorced, I invite you, let's together change the paradigm of love from something where we're promoting ourselves instead to something where we submit to each other, not only in marriage, 
but as a church. Take out your Connect cards. I would imagine most of you are familiar with what the Connect cards are. On the front, you have questions about who you are. And if you're a member here, you can just write your name. But if you're visiting, we'd like to get to know you better. Fill out that information. And then on the back, we're inviting you to make some decisions this morning. Over on the right-hand side, maybe you'd like to make some decisions regarding your relationship with Jesus Christ. Beginning a relationship with Jesus, information on baptism, information on church membership, or becoming a grow group leader, or receiving Bible studies. If one of those is something that God is impressing you to do, check those boxes. But on the left here, we have three things that I'd like to encourage us to think about. I accept because I am a child of God, He has given me a new paradigm of what a relationship should be. If that's something you want to do, check that box. I pray that this new paradigm will transform my expectations of love and create in me a new heart. These transformations, they're not easy. Whether you've been married three years like me or 50 years, I doubt any of you is at a place where you can say, oh, I've got it. I am fully submitted to Christ and to my spouse. It's a lifelong journey, isn't it? And that prayer for a new heart is something we need to do continually. I am committed to modeling God's love of submission and sacrifice through my relationship with my spouse. Church family, can you imagine what our church would look like if every married couple was able to demonstrate God's love in their marriage? We wouldn't be talking about keeping our children in the church. We'd be talking about where to fit everyone who would want to come here. Let's change our paradigm. This morning's offering, or this afternoon's offering, I guess at this point, is for church budget. As you, the deacons come by, I encourage you to give liberally and to put your Connect card in the offering plate. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, I pray that you will pour out your Spirit upon us, that you will transform our hearts and our minds into your character of love. Help us to treat each other the way you have treated us. Help us to transform our marriages into your picture of love. Bless us now and bless this offering.